Turning again to that chapter that we read together, Genesis chapter 17. And we may read from verse 4. As for me, behold, my covenant is with thee, and thou shalt be a father of many nations. Neither shall thy name any more be called Abraham, but thy name shall be called Abraham. For a father of many nations have I made thee, and I will make thee exceeding fruitful, and I will make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee. And I will establish my covenant between me and thee, and thy seed after thee in their generation for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. Now, for as I mentioned on those who were here on Thursday evening, and we looked at the covenant of uh, redemption that we would go on to look at the covenant of grace uh, today and uh, just to give a little bit of background to what we were considering and we considered uh, what a covenant is and generally speaking a covenant is an agreement between two parties on which obligations are mutually binding an agreement between two parties on which obligations are mutually binding. But of course, there's a difference between a covenant, an agreement of any kind drawn up between two people and God's covenant with man. God, indeed, his covenants with man. And it is that it is in that covenant and in these covenants, it is God and God alone who sets the terms. It is for man to agree with what is set out. It is not about equals as it would be between maybe you and I making a covenant between us, an agreement of some sort. This is not how it is. It's not as if the terms can be negotiated. If you and I again, or in any uh, human, human terms, human level, people were going to to work out some agreement, some, some uh, thing that, that would be uh, acceptable to both sides. There may well be some negotiation and there may well be coming eventually to something that we could both put, as it were, our amen to. But that is not how it is at all here. The terms are set out by God. They are not to be negotiated by man. What man has to do is acquiesce with what the Lord has declared are the terms. He has opportunity to do so or not to do so. And that is how it is with all the covenants. Now, we considered on Thursday some aspects of what we think of as the covenant of redemption. We saw how it is that covenant or agreement between God the Father and God the Son in eternity. It is God's covenant. It's not depending on the merits of man in any kind. There was a covenant made between the Son and the Father. In the Godhead, there's an entering in of a covenant, as we saw, what we call now the covenant of redemption. It was that agreement 
before Christ ever took our nature, that there would be what turned out to be the work of redemption in this world. Now, one other aspect we have to remember, and some of these things are difficult for us all to grasp fully, is that election precedes even the covenant of redemption. God didn't, as some still say, God didn't foresee who would believe and then save them because he saw that they would believe and then give them to the Son. Rather, he first elected his own and gave them to Christ in the covenant. And that is always got to be mindful that how do we fully understand that? I don't think any of us can fully, but it's what Scripture teaches. And likewise, Scripture teaches that that then covenant of redemption was put into place before even sin entered into the world. It wasn't what we might call, speaking of rebel, a knee-jerk reaction. It was what was purposed and planned. It wasn't a, a, a knee-jerk reaction to the fall in any way whatsoever. And so in the covenant of redemption, we considered what was required of the Son. And what was required of the Son was that he would take our nature to meet the just demands of God's holy law broken in Adam. And so Christ taking our nature was meeting the demands of the laws, what scripture teaches, because Adam fell and with him mankind. Now we know, of course, that there are a number of covenants mentioned in scripture, quite a number we know of, and people speak of it, as we said, was the covenant of redemption, the covenant of works, and the covenant of grace, that's what we'll look at later on. There's also, there's, well, with the, with the Adam, the Adamic covenant, there's a Noahic covenant with Noah, you'll remember who that was, and with Abraham, as what we read here today. And even some speak maybe of the Davidic, David's covenant as well. There are many covenants, but it greatly helps us all to understand God's plan of salvation when we see it unfolding on the pages of history. It helps us to understand it if we have a grasp of the importance that God lays upon covenant. It is something we should see everything. It was uh, James Parker who put it well, I think. He said it's like when you've got a beautiful, uh, amazing picture or a painting, and choosing a proper picture frame is so important for that picture. And so he said, covenant theology is what shows off the gospel best. When covenant theology frames what we know of the gospel and the work of redemption, it helps us to understand it better. And always the work of redemption and the work of Christ in redeeming souls, if we have to see it, and we should see it maybe more than we usually do, framed, as it were, by the covenants as we have them in Scripture. So today then, to consider what follows on from the covenant of redemption, not forgetting, of course, the covenant of works uh, with Adam. We're not forgetting that at all. But also to see that there's grace indeed in every covenant. But especially today then, first of all, to consider what is known as the covenant of grace. And as we see it, first of all, in the Old Testament, and then we'll consider some how we see it in the New Testament, 
and then how it applies to ourselves today. So then, the covenant of grace as seen in the Old Testament. Now, friends, there's a number of texts we could use to preach on this from the Old Testament. What I read today, and as you know yourselves, there are many other pieces we could have read which speak about the covenant of grace. So, first of all, we can think about in Eden. We see the transition from the covenant of works, which was to Adam given to work to do, to be obedient in the Garden of Eden, to dress it. He was told what to do and what not to do, not to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. In other words, what was included in it was obedience, Adam's obedience, and that's where he fell down. And then in that, we see that Adam was representing mankind in that way. And so in his fall and in his lack of obedience, so that falls to us today. And then, of course, we see also there uh, the covenant of grace. Remember in Genesis 3, 15, that well-known part there. Despite man's fall, Adam's fall and man's understanding and deserving and understanding of what God required of him, we see a clear evidence of a covenant of grace. Now, Adam was a party to the covenant of works as representative of mankind. And with Eve, he came nevertheless to believe the covenant promises. Remember that in Genesis 3.15 there. I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. There's the promise that is included in that. But that was for Adam. But in the covenant of grace, particularly, Christ takes a place. Christ takes a place that Adam had in the covenant of works with Adam. In the covenant of grace now, we see Christ particularly. Now, there are other covenants, as we mentioned. You remember with Noah, it's spoken about, I will establish my covenant with you and your seed after you. We have it with, with uh, Abraham. He made a covenant with Abraham, saying, unto thy seed have I given this land. Through Moses also, the Lord speaks to the children of Israel. I will be your God, and ye shall be my people. And so there's many other places in Scripture where we can see that covenant that was there. But there is also the move from there to the focus on Christ that will be seen as we go through the Scripture. And uh, covenantal promises, you'll find them in different situations. And even in this very chapter, how often the word covenant is repeated. But the whole you could trace probably about a dozen times as you go through uh, the Old Testament, uh, a dozen times where the promises are there of covenant blessings to those who will keep the covenant. Something else in it, it's a personal thing as well. If you look at, at verses 6 to 8 there, notice how often uh, we have their personal pronouns. Chapter 6, 17, verse 6, I will make thee exceeding fruitful, and I will make nations of thee, and kings of the earth shall come out of thee, 
and I will establish my covenant between me and thee, and thy seed after thee in their generations, for an everlasting covenant, to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. And I will give unto thee and to thy seed after thee the land wherein and so on. There is that personal aspect to it. When God is giving us the covenant, there is that there for it always to do with himself and the people. It is always with himself beginning. And so, of course, the connection is seen there. Indeed, we cannot but see from the first Adam to the second Adam, Christ, and his people. You remember what we read in Romans chapter 5. Therefore, as by the offense of one, that is Adam, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, that is Christ, of course, the free gift came upon all men and to justification of life. And so we see there from the Old Testament, and we could repeat that over and over and over again. So from Genesis to Revelation, God uh, progressively unfolds his purpose of how he has a people in covenant with himself. It is always there. It's in the Old Testament. It goes all the way through. And the thing, friends, is God never breaks his covenant. Man is the covenant breaker. It is man who breaks it. God does not. David Livingstone, in a very quaint way, maybe not the best theological way, but he speaks of it in a lovely way. He said, God is an honorable gentleman who never breaks his word. God is an honorable gentleman who never breaks his word. And that is we can be sure of. He makes the covenant. He sets out the, the, the order of the covenant. He sets out the detail of the covenant, and he never breaks it. And what we have in man, of course, you and I are covenant breakers. And so then the covenant of grace is seen in the Old Testament time and time and time again. But then secondly, it is also seen in the New Testament. When we mentioned uh, uh, before, I will be your God and you shall be my people. That is found in Second Corinthians. But that is just quoting also from what was said before. We have it here in this chapter. We have the teaching there. We have it in, in many other prophets. Jeremiah 31, we have it in Ezekiel 11, in, in uh, Zechariah chapter 8, and so on. This whole idea, I will be your God and ye shall be my people. The whole idea that he has a people and he will be their God. It is set out in the New Testament. Now, in the Old Testament, it is highlighted well, and if we have our confession of faith brings that out very much in chapter 7, uh, where uh, the covenant of grace is seen in different ways. It is seen in the Old Testament, as our confession puts it, relating to the law, to the prophecies, to sacrifices and circumcision. But in the New Testament, it is to do with the preaching and the sacraments, where Christ is brought before us as a true substance, if you like, of the covenant of grace. There is that change, that transformation that has come about in that way. And so the Lord Jesus is revealed to us in the New Testament as the mediator of the covenant of grace. Again, 
expounded in our confession and in our larger catechism, those you have as well worth reading in chapter 31. Now, some see the covenant of redemption and the covenant of grace uh, see it as two sides of the one coin. And I think it's a good way of looking at it. Covenant of redemption, one side, covenant of grace on the other side. That is true. There is obviously a connection between them. Depends how you look at these things. But it is only in time that the covenant of grace is revealed to mankind after the fall and after the covenant of works had been broken. So when we think about the covenant of grace, it is usually we think about it in terms of this world and how we are in this world and mankind is in this world. So while it is there all the way through, is what we learn from the New Testament about it is clearer, much clearer to us. It's clearer detail in the New Testament. And that teaching of the covenant of grace there, that we know that there, there are those who are chosen and gifted to the Son by the Father. And there also we learn that Christ, therefore, becomes our guarantor. That's your guarantor today. If you're a Christian today, it is not that you have kept the law perfectly. It is because Christ has done it. And he has met the demands of the law, and he is your guarantor today. And through faith in him, trusting in him, then that becomes yours. And you are right with God, peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, friends, when you stand ultimately, you and I stand ultimately before God, what will you have to commend you? Absolutely nothing of yourself. But what have you got? But the one who kept the covenant, the one who alone is the mediator of that covenant. There is nothing of ourselves. What can we do but plead the merits of Christ? We are there because of him. I am standing before God in clothed in righteousness, not my own, but his, and he has done all for me. And this surely is what we see as we, anybody reading through the New Testament, will grasp that. Whatever you do, when you come to know Christ at all, there you will find it maybe it takes longer for some of us than others to understand it fully. But that is the teaching there. And the covenant of grace is seen through the pages of the New Testament. We have nothing of ourselves. It is all of grace. It is all of the Lord. He alone is the mediator of this later covenant, the covenant of grace. And all the promise of God are ours through Christ in this covenant promise. So what does the son doing? Well, he does know he's acting as the mediator of the covenant of grace. And he's doing so in two ways. He is acting as between God, or acting for God, if I can put it that way, toward us, towards man, and for us, towards God. There's the two sides and the two aspects to it. That is how he does it. This is what he does. 
He is a mediator. He is the mediator seen in this in the covenant of grace. And all we have is in and through him and only in and through him. We read again in Hebrews, and I'm sorry it being so many different texts to you, but I think it's necessary for us. By so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament. That is the guarantor of the covenant relationship. Again in Hebrews, but now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry by how much also is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. In other words, in the New Testament era, through the preaching, etc., the covenant of grace is clearer seen than in the old. And Christ's importance in it as his people's mediator is what we come to know through the New Testament scriptures. Now, friends, I'm not at all suggesting that we can all get a grasp of this. And at the end of the day, this is, this, this, these things are things that we should look into. But what is important is to know, am I right with God? And if I am, how, how has that come about? Only through the Lord Jesus Christ, him being the mediator. And so that is how this redemption, the covenant of redemption, the redemption I have traces back to that covenant. And that is where it finds uh, its, its, its um, root for any of us to be saved. The fact that there was a covenant made. There's a covenant of redemption that is made. And then there's the covenant of grace where we have it and see it in Scripture. So in the New Testament and in the Old, particularly in the New, there is clearer maybe evidence of it for ourselves. And then thirdly and finally, the benefits of that covenant of grace to you and I today. So what then really, in a very simple way, can we say that the covenant of grace, what is it is to you and I first and foremost? Well, it is nothing more and nothing less than the supply and application of God's unmerited favor and mercy. That's what we have in the covenant. Do you know that for yourself this morning? Do you have that assurance today? Nothing in my hands I bring, simply the cross I bring. That's my hope. Not in anything I am or what I was or what I will be. It is all of grace. It is his unmerited favor and mercy. That's what comes to you from that covenant uh, of grace that we have been speaking about. And yes, it's there for, for every single person who will believe, for every member of the invisible church. And from that, what particular benefits can we know for ourselves? What can you know today if you are one who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Christ of the covenants? Well, by trusting and faith, we can believe this, that we are justified. We can have that assurance. You're a justified person. And you are being sanctified. You can know that as well. And also, glory be to God for it, ultimately, that you'll be glorified with him where he is. And there you will see him who gave himself for you. 
And you can know that. These are some of the benefits today for us as we live through. How can we go on through this life except for this? Because of that hope that is held out before us. Believing in Christ, that you'll be with him one day. My dear friend, if you don't have that hope, if you don't have Christ, you cannot have that hope. You may have a false hope and hope some way or other, a hope that is just a worldly hope. The hope of the Christian is not like the worldly hope. There's a sure hope. There's a surety about it. If you are those who know something of the grace of God and the God of grace and the covenant of grace for yourselves. Wonder, I don't think we think of these things as often as we ought to. Especially that those promises included and in the glorious covenant of redemption. Oh, when we think, if only we'll think more of the cost of it. What it cost our Savior. That he had to, yes, take our nature. Amazing indeed. But in our nature that he had to suffer and die to satisfy and to meet the demands of the law that you and I could never Amen. And so to think of these things, friends, the promises there for us, included in this at that cost, a cost not to you or to me, but to him. Fulfilling the covenant, the one who is the mediator of that covenant. Do you believe that today? Do you believe that Christ died for your sins? Do you believe that he rose again for your justification? Well, if that is true, faith being exercised, it is because of this covenant of grace. We are called into union with Christ in the covenant of grace. That's man's responsibility. That's man's how man should respond. We said earlier, God set the terms of the covenant. Man should respond in believing, in trusting, and in having faith. This is what is necessary for us. And what we have into the gospel promises, what have we got there? Invitations to enter into the covenant relationship. That's what happens when the gospel is preached, when you read the Bible. It is an invitation to enter into this covenant relationship with God. How? Through, as we said, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know how Lord say through Moses, for example, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for the earth is mine, and you shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. That's the promise. And that's a promise to an individual as well as a nation. And even our own poor, poor nation at this time, if there would be a, a turning. To God again, he is true to his promise and he could turn and transform this nation as he can transform an, an, an individual. Friends, it's no harder for God to transform the whole world. No difference between transforming one individual. It's just as possible for him. So then, friends, covenant faithfulness on our part is the condition and means of receiving covenant blessings. And it has ever been so from the beginning, from down through the generations of the Old Testament. That, my dear friend, is as relevant today as it was when it was first promised 
by God. But it was promised to Abraham and to Moses and all the rest. So friends then, in conclusion, the covenant of grace has in it a mutual promise and agreement between God and man. A promise of eternal salvation is given to all who enter into this covenant by and for the sake, of course, of the mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the covenant is not a covenant that is impossible for man to keep in the sense that in the way of, of uh, well, I cannot promise that. Well, you can promise that the, 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 that the requirements of it have been met by Christ. But it's for you then to believe in Christ. And in that way, you are seen as being right before God. And a promise of eternal salvation is given to everyone who enters into it by and for through the mediator, the Lord Jesus. Do you have that hope today yourself? Do you have that assurance in your own soul? In this covenant of grace, God promises what? Eternal life on the grounds of what you have done, no, but on the grounds of the merits of the Lord Jesus Christ. The terms are simple, but your faith and trust in Christ. That's what you have to do. Here and here alone is where your sins can be dealt with. This is what it is. It is all of grace. I can quote you, the well-known hymn writer, Top Lady, puts it like this. You'll know some of it. A debtor to mercy alone, of covenant mercies I sing, nor fear with thy righteousness on my person and offerings to bring. The terrors of law and of God with me can have nothing to do. My Savior's obedience and blood hide all my transgressions from you. Ah, can you say that today? My Savior's obedience and blood hide all my transgressions from you. That's the Christian. Not being perfect, but he is perfect. And he has done all for us. So friends, while in the Old Testament, we can see the covenant of grace. In the New Testament, it is much clearer, a clearer view for it. And no longer a covenant of work, but has been said, it is what we have now is based on a better covenant, better promises spoken of as we have it in Hebrews chapter 8. That is what we have. Better covenant with better promises based, as someone has said, on a better sacrifice offered by a better high priest in a better sanctuary. That's where our hope lies today. So, dear friends, that there's just some aspects and much more of time was there for it. And you can look and more at yourselves. Some aspects of the covenant of grace and out working in time of the covenant of redemption. You need to believe, of course, we should believe in that covenant redemption, understanding it. And uh, it's impossible to do that holy covenant before time was between father and son. There's enough revealed, of course, in scripture to have us med meditate upon it and much we can grasp. But why we need to believe in that, that that is, there is a beginning there. But to be saved, you must act 
on what is revealed in the covenant of grace. And that's when man's responsibility comes in. You have the covenant of redemption. And as someone said earlier, two sides on the one coin. Yes, it's there. But what you see more and should know more of and understand it for yourself is the covenant of redemption. And it's on that that the responsibility falls on you. That is where you must act on what is revealed in that covenant of grace. And the question for us all here today is, have I done so? Have you done so? For there is no salvation in any other way. O oh Lord God, we are indebted to thee for thy word, the only rule to direct us, so we may glorify and enjoy thee. We tremble, O oh Lord, at the way that we uh, do not grasp as we ought to, and yet there is enough revealed in thy scriptures to have us understand that we are sinners that need to be saved. And we thank thee for the covenant of redemption that before time. We thank thee, Lord, uh, for the covenant of grace that we see particularly revealed to us in the New Testament scriptures and the one who was the mediator of that covenant. Oh, how we bless thee for the Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior. We pray, Lord God, that he would be the Savior of each and every one of us and that we would be able to say in faith today, I know that my Redeemer liveth. Hear us and accept us and all for Christ's sake. Amen.